Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Last week on Think Business Futures, we took a look at how to educate entrepreneurs, asking the question, is this something you're born with or is it something that you can teach? This week on the show, we're taking you into the world of a startup company and its founder to check out what the experience of an entrepreneur is like from the ground. Mark Curry is the CEO of Savvy Beverages, an award-winning nutrition business that makes healthy products from natural ingredients that improve energy and mental well-being. Today, we'll chat about how the brand went from an idea to something real, how Mark grew the business, and the important lessons that he learned along the way. Mark Curry joins me now remotely from Byron Bay. Mark, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks, Stefan. How are you going? Good. Now, Mark, you are an entrepreneur. We recently did an episode of the show all about entrepreneurship and how to educate entrepreneurs. Tell me quickly what you were doing before you decided to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. Prior to doing what I do now, working as a nutritionist and having a nutrition startup business, I was working as a commercial lawyer. You know, uh, the corporate grind, it's its not for everyone. I uh, spent a lot of time burnt out working extremely long hours and very stressed and anxious. I found my passion and areas to be entirely different. And I spent years trying to figure out how to actually spend my days working in something that I enjoy. Right. So you decided, okay, I want to be following my passion. Was that just sort of a, so was being an entrepreneur a byproduct of that? Or was there a sort of a decision-making process where you were thinking, okay, if my life wants to be as I want it to be, I'm going to become an entrepreneur? Uh, If I'm entirely honest, um, I've always loved the idea of business, which is why I did a business degree mixed with a law degree at UTS. And whilst I was there, I was working at a tutoring company in Bono Junction called Easy Math Tutoring. And my mentor there, who was also my boss, a guy called Gene, was phenomenally inspirational because we took it from a tiny company in Bondi to being one of the largest tutoring companies in Australia. So seeing that growth and seeing how he hustled and managed to try and get it from a tiny place to being one of the biggest ones in Australia, I think I've been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug then. Mm, Okay. Let's talk about where you landed. Uh, You started Savvy Beverages. Tell us a bit about the creation. Like, why was it this company that you wanted to enter into the world of entrepreneurship with? How, how did you make that decision? You could have been anything. The world is huge out there. Why this company? I'd been interested in the space of nootropics and adaptogens, which is a fancy word for ingredients that improve the way the brain works, either by upregulating your mood, reducing stress or improving focus or lasting energy. So that's what we really wanted to do is make an impact. There was nothing else like there on the market. And I was so excited to be able to finally share what was my passion with people in a mass scale and create something that hadn't been done before that would make a huge impact to people's mental health. I want to know about what the difference really is then. So I drink black coffee in the morning, I have a shower, I sit down to work. What's the difference between what savvy beverages will do to me and you know my, my morning routine of 
black coffee in a shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that's in ca- coffee is chlorogenic acids and caffeine. So caffeine's a blunt instrument. It'll definitely give you a small boost to your alertness, but it'll also raise cortisol, which is your stress and anxiety hormone, which is why people feel that jitteriness or palpitations or that unpleasant anxiety when they have too much coffee, or for some people, even just one cup. So we wanted to create something that gives you that huge benefit, but with none of the downsides. So instead of doing what everyone's doing, which is caffeine, stimulant, which is what's in tea and coffee or energy drinks, we thought, what if we took away the barriers to entry? What if we removed stress and removed anxiety and improved people's moods? So that's where we started research down the nootropic angle and adaptogen angle. And we put 13 ingredients together, which is scientifically proven to improve your mood, improve focus, reduce stress, reduce anxiety, which also provides much longer lasting energy. We also did provide a little bit of caffeine for people from natural sources, from green tea and green coffee. So you get that benefit too. Once you realize the difference and you see what the science actually says about it, it becomes a no brainer. I feel like I'm in a much more elevated state. So I feel like I'm ready to start working. I feel like my brain is switched on. I have mental clarity. I'm ready to work. I'm in a good mood and I feel motivated to start going. Mm, Okay. I want to rewind back to when you first started the brand. Um, How did you get started? I mean, I assume it was an extremely steep learning curve. What are the first steps for an entrepreneur and in your case, moving into the beverage market? That was really, really hard. Um, Trying to go ahead and move into a new market is extremely challenging for me. I had a lot of um, issues with imposter syndrome, but that was probably the, the first issue is I still identified as what I was previously, which was a lawyer. So moving away from that was one challenge. The next one was realizing I need to be my own spokesman for it. So I needed to put myself in the foreground, which meant I needed to just basically buckle up and start actually talking about it and say, you know what? I do know about this product. And that was hard. That took a lot of um, self-reflection to get there. Uh, the next stage as well was starting start create a product in Australia and innovate with ingredients that nobody has heard of in, and make a small budget manufacturing project because all I put into it was all of my savings to date. So people weren't interested in doing small runs of 10,000 or 15,000 drinks because the big, the big guys are doing half a million and multiple millions of drinks. Mm-hmm. And I ran into like almost 30 big no's back to back before I finally was given a break. And weeks are going by and I'm going all over Australia to try and see these people and that is consistently saying no. So innovation, unfortunately, was very challenging. I was extraordinarily tempted to throw in the towel and just go back to what I knew. The The first uh, year was, was very hard. It was exciting to get the formulation together. But once we had that formula, we're like, all right, we're going to make it at scale. And that part just was just challenge after challenge after challenge. Eventually, I had to get everything moved from New South Wales over to Western Australia and have the first prototype made in Perth. Mm. But the drink sold out really quickly at the beginning, which was brilliant. So uh, at least we had like, yes, the idea works. So that was the, the one benefit from it. But gosh, it's hard at the start. Okay, so you've sold out of that first run. What does the next step in the process look like? You have to, you know, it was a sellout sort of quickly, big success. How do you go back and sort of assess what the next step is from there? 
So from there, it was, uh, okay, how do we get the money together? Now, we were lucky enough to get a couple grants, like a research and development grant from the government, which basically means that what we're doing is different and no one's done it before. So we have to spend money in research and development. So we used all that grant money to go ahead and create the next following batch. This time we pivoted and what we realized was we need to work with a larger company that knows what they're doing when it comes to e-commerce and direct to market sales so we can be sold in stores properly. So I started speaking to a few larger brands that I thought had similar values to us. We found one, tied our boat to it and decided to work with them and use their manufacturers so we get their economies of scale so we could make the drink at a way cheaper price and properly commercialize it. Mm. Okay. And then, so what does the business look like at this point once you've established all that? So once we've established all that, it means the drink that we're making was half the price of what it cost the first time, which means we can probably uh, turn it into a real viable business model, both direct to consumer and through distribution and retailers. It then allowed us to move into a second area, which was coffee. And that became our second line product which is also one of the biggest products as well, which is great. Now, we're going to shift a little bit. So you've got an established brand, you're sort of up and running, you're selling products. Now, the health and well-being world, especially in the digital space, has a lot of people selling all sorts of things. And for people that are interested in health and well-being, it can be difficult to filter between pseudoscientific products and legitimate products is this a has this been a challenge to navigate through and to differentiate yourself to say look this is this is real this is not equated to some of the stuff that you that you may see coming out of byron bay might i say (laughs) (laughs) um yes so that is a, a big challenging thing so for us it was all about the trusted origins so our product had to be made by australian health professionals with high quality ingredients which is why when we started, we bound together with nutritionists, naturopaths, and dietitians, and we also had health professionals on board. We had PhDs assisting with looking through the research to make sure that we use the right ingredients at the right amount for a real benefit. But the big challenge is how the hell do you market that? It's really hard because people don't know much about nutrition. And to be honest, they don't seem to, to care. They just want something that works. And they're mm. not going to look into the details and the nitty-gritty science. And it's challenging to try and explain from a marketing perspective why your product is better than the next person's. That's an ongoing challenge for us. How the heck do we make it clear to people that our product is legit? Mm. So, you know, you find yourself in a place where Savvy's working, you're, you're selling beverages, obviously, you've probably got some growth that you're still looking at. What do you think some of the biggest challenges have been along the way for you that are also common challenges for all entrepreneurs. So I think just remaining consistent and just keeping on working and trying to manage all of the different things in a way that makes sense. So my diary each day looks ridiculous because I schedule in everything because there's just so much to do. You have to be your own accountant, your own lawyer, your own marketing advisor, create updates for the website, your social media, consider which avenues you're selling through and making sure everything's up to date and everyone has stock make sure that you're considering if it's a if it's a product-based business that you have the capacity to forecast and make sure that you're not running out of stock and that your suppliers 
are getting new stock in so you can manufacture it in time so you never actually sell out sell out for more than like a day or two so managing all of those things is probably the biggest challenge is you need to be the, the person who's doing all of it at the same time and it's exhausting how do you go from being the person that wears all the hats to being the ceo of the business who is focused on growth uh, bringing it into new markets, you know, the person having the meetings with the big players that has other people who are professionals in those areas taking care of that sort of stuff. To be honest, it was just a case of delegating as fast and as quickly as I could onto tasks that don't require full attention. And there are websites out there that help out. So Airtasker is one, Upwork is another, and just the ability to use virtual assistants has made life so much easier. So if I don't need to directly be the person who's writing the blogs, creating the uh, the photos and the pictures for Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those things, then that's one less task to worry about. If I don't need to physically pack the boxes that go out to customers for the orders that they've made online through the e-commerce store, one less thing to worry about. So one by one, I begin delegating things away and away and away. So then you can focus on working on the business as opposed to purely being in the business, which means you can look at trying to go ahead and get big contracts on board with universities or large offices or whatever else you might be trying to pursue to look after growth for the business. I think it's just a gradual step-by-step thing. I, I mapped it out a little while ago of my goals of what are the tasks that you have to do because you have to do everything at the start but someone else could do if i just spend an hour or two writing up a nice detailed system of how to do it could someone else do it and if the answer is yes then someone else has to be doing it um if it's something that requires too much um personal touch then it was a that's a mark curry task until a later date until i can figure out how the hell to delegate it and so then one by one i just delegated as quickly as i could and it might be uh, a month-on-month process. And there's always so much to, to do, but it's it's just lovely to make a bigger dent in that to-do list. Mm. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures here on 2SER 107.3. We're recording remotely today. My name is Stefan Postuma. I'm your host. And I'm joined by the CEO of Savvy Beverages, Mark Curry. We're taking a look at what entrepreneurship looks like on the ground. Now, Mark... Your ability to delegate is obviously dictated by your resources because I look, I think at some point during a business, people have to continue to reinvest. So you might be making profits being the guy that wears all the hats, but then potentially have to make a sacrifice saying, I'm going to now delegate away all these tasks, which is going to completely obliterate profits in the hope that this allows the business to grow. Was that a, was that a point that you came to? And maybe talk a bit about the relationship between you know, outsourcing work to other people and where the resources lie and how you sort of make that decision to progress the business at that point. The most important thing is opportunity cost. If you think about what's the value that you personally can bring to the business on an hourly basis, as opposed to hiring someone to do the tasks, which is a low value task, me packing um, 10 orders a day and putting coffee pod boxes and drink boxes together and slapping stickers on them for the courier, that's a low value task. That needs to happen, but 
I don't need to be doing that. So my time is wasted there with opportunity costs. So outsourcing that for someone else to do, uh, even though there's a cost there, it's a marginal cost because now I have an extra hour to spend doing something else. So let's just say, for example, say it cost me 20 bucks to do that. But if I can personally generate $100 somewhere else in that same hour by moving closer toward a bigger contract, it makes complete mathematic and economic sense to do that. When you're trying to wear all the hats all the time, you're also, without realizing it, being a handbrake on the growth of the business. And I know that you need to have the resources at the start anyway. So once you start to get some profits, that's amazing. But once you start to receive a grant or two, and there are amazing grants out there, then that can be reused. So just even a small grant of a $2,000 grant or even a $500 grant can go so, so far because that means that you don't need to do order packing for the next four or five weeks. And if in that time, your five or six hours saved because you're not packing boxes, go somewhere else, which then creates a new revenue stream because you've got one or two more corporate offices on board because you've had the time to properly call them and email and do the Zoom meetings with them, then you paid for it. And then it's paid forever because they're an ongoing subscription basis, which means that it's a forever delegated task. And once you realize, oh my gosh, I'm actually now working on the most important stuff, that's when it becomes a no-brainer. And the opportunity cost becomes way too much to ignore. And then you realize you only should be spending your time on growth and everything that needs to happen but doesn't require your personal touch needs to be delegated. Mm, okay. In fairness, Ta- it took me a while to realize that. Like I speak now as if like this was obvious. It wasn't. The first three years I did everything and I was a handbrake. I feel I could have gotten to where I am now way faster had I delegated things way far at the beginning. But my fear was, oh, it won't be done as quick if it's not me doing it. It won't be done as well if it's not me doing it. Those things aren't true. You need to let go of those. Yeah, that's an interesting point to touch on. I think that a lot of business owners or startup owners have, um, you know, a protectiveness of their ability to work in a place, uh, and it's it's hard to entrust someone with a job that you've been doing for a long time and you're very confident in your ability to do it. You then hand over the reins to someone um, to do all of it, and and this sp- specifically, I think occurs in the way of things like copywriting and brand representation. So having people actually write social media posts for you or have people write your web copy for you, um, these sorts of tasks are very, very hard for people to let go of. So do you want to just expand a little bit on letting go and allowing people to take control and entrusting people with these very important aspects of your business? So I think letting go is easier if you have faith in your ability to write down a clearly understandable system. Doesn't it make absolute sense to spend two hours writing a really clear procedural step-by-step, this is how I do it, these are the words that I use, this is the font, this is the type, this is the color, this is the everything. So someone has all the training material they need to do the exact same job as you. Sure, it might not be exactly the same, but it's close enough. And if you've done a good job training, then you should be able to be a perfect delegator. Mm, okay, yeah, that's really interesting. Allowing it to be more process driven rather than, um, you know, just just entrusting that someone can sort of copy your voice. Let's talk about where you are now in terms of that, in terms of the Mark Curry who's running Savvy. What's still on your 
Mark Curry to-do list that you're trying to get off it? And uh, what's your role now as CEO? Great question. So at the moment, it's all about growth. So it's trying to work on the business as opposed to in the business. So whilst I might not be doing all the the day-to-day packing of the orders that I used to um, and writing less of the, the emails, you still oversee all of that. And because you've written all the process manuals for how that's done, there's a very large part of you in all of those processes. But it frees me up to actually spend time reaching out to places where I think Savvy needs to be to make an impact and help people such as universities or large corporate offices, co-working spaces, TAFEs, colleges, hospitals, because people are working around the clock there, or any other environment where people are working around the clock. This isn't an immediate, oh, thanks for reaching out. Yes, absolutely. Please come and supply our entire office. It's a step-by-step, multiple emails, meetings, samples. There's a lot of things like that. It allows me to do those things, which means the brand has the opportunity to grow and more people have the opportunity to benefit from it. Mm, Okay. Let's talk about the lifestyle of an entrepreneur at this point in the business. People think of successful entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. They often also associate them with being workaholics, Elon Musk notoriously sleeping on the floor of the Tesla factory or whatever. Are you one of these people? <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm exactly one of those people, but uh, I do relate to to their stories because some days you do find yourself uh, excited to jump out of bed and crack into emails at 4.30 so you can do all of the big emails you want to do by 8.30. So then by the time the day properly starts for the average person, you're already you've already sent all the emails you need to send. So then you can actually work on quote important tasks to get the business ahead. So I think that's kind of my take, but I also feel there's a, there's a strange feeling that people think entrepreneurs or people who work their own business, it's a bit, it's really nice and it's all, it's all roses and lovely. And unfortunately that's just not the case. I think it's a lot more challenge than people realize. Like there's a lot of like mental health issues that go up and down because you're facing consistent rejection Um, even just getting started, there were so many people who said no before they said yes. And then even now going out into markets, explaining what it is, sure, we're lucky enough to have gone from no stores in January when we launched the drink into over 500 stores, which makes us one of the fastest growing brands, which is lovely. But you don't talk about or hear about the hundreds of stores that said, no, thanks, get out. Sometimes a bit nicer, but sometimes as direct as that, where they just be like, oh, no, it's not for me. And that was just uh, part and parcel to it. And you don't hear about all of the other times when you do your big pitch and you spend days and days and days trying to get to this office or that university or that TAFE or that thing just to be told, yeah, sorry, it's a no. So yeah, there's a lot of up and downs with that. And so there's a lot of times that you just spend hours and days and weeks working toward a goal only to fail and miss the goal and miss it again and again and again. You only ever seem to hear about the successes. Uh, I think Thomas Edison has a really good quote, which is he made it 10,000 mistakes before he finally did one that worked. You, you only hear about the, the successes and they're like, oh, cool, this thing has finally happened. So people hear this romantic view of entrepreneurship as if it's really cool and nice. You don't hear about the early mornings, the late nights. I'm probably working harder now than when I was when I was uh, part of the corporate machine that is commercial law. Mm, okay. Are you giving yourself any time off? That's probably another challenge as well, actually, is the time off because at least when you're, you're working a job, it's weekend. It's like, all right, cool. 
laptop closed, I'm out of here. I'm going to have an entire weekend and it's going to be this, that, and the other. When it's your own thing, to be honest, it's, it's, I need to actually schedule in days when I don't work. Otherwise mm. I'll find myself in a Saturday going, oh, I'll quickly like get a few emails ready or I'll, I'll quickly do a few of this or I'll quickly, because you find yourself always doing that. And then you're like, oh my gosh, am I becoming a workaholic? That's so not what I want to try and be. I need to create a balance for myself. So I actually force myself to have time when I'm not doing any work-related tasks at all. Mm, um, okay. Is that successful? Are you, are you sticking to your, to your <laughs> scheduled time off? Uh, I, I do. I, I feel it's weather dependent sometimes because being up here, like it's so much easier to be like, all right, it's a day of like doing things and going outside when it's like sunny outside. But when it's rainy and gloomy, it's like, ugh. Because then you're like, what do I do? Do I just watch movies all day? Like, mm. it feel, you feel like such a slug doing that. So you're like, ah, <laughs> oh. like maybe I'll do like a little bit of work. But normally what I'll try and do is instead is like um, personal upgrade stuff. So like reading books. Mm, okay. Well, let's quickly wrap it up and we won't take too long on this. But so 500 stores, you've grown savvy beverages but what do you want it to look like in the future and i want you to relate this to this idea of work balance work-life balance and lifestyle if you get to where you want it to be do you see yourself having the balance finally at some point you know we, we set out since day one to to make a difference and our goal is to be the product that is in people's hands at TAFEs, colleges, universities, the end of high school. It's the product that people have in offices. Every single time that someone has an energy drink in their hand, I'm thinking they should have savvy in their hand. It does the same thing, but it's way better with way less unhealthy ingredients and way more healthy ingredients. So I know it can be everywhere. So I'm determined to make that difference. And I think that with more people on the team, there would be a work-life balance. I think if I was to do everything solo, I'd be working just as hard as I am now. I think if I could get to a stage like my partner business, who's the group that we're working with that allows for economies of scale, who's a slightly larger beverage brand, they have a few staff members. They're in four and a half thousand stores. Mm. So that's the kind of goal. So it's once you get into more places and there's more revenue, there's more things to look after, you naturally need to hire a second or a third person to assist because you can't do it solo. Mm. But that will naturally come when the money's there to be able to afford for that. Mm. So I think my goal is definitely within reach. And I think there's a clearly defined path, or maybe not clearly defined, but there's a path to get there. And it's something that gets me still so excited about achieving. And I know it's something that we can do because we're a purpose-driven business. We want to make an impact on people's lives for the better. And that's what gets us moving and shaking so damn hard every day. And I think the work-life balance would be there with extra people in place to be able to do the extra work that would be required to get there. Well, Mark, it's a fascinating story. I think that, you know, considering the nature of this show and recent episodes about entrepreneurship, it's absolutely wonderful to get the experience of someone who's in the thick of it and who's gone through the initial startup process, gotten to where you're at and sort of looking to the future. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's very insightful for a lot of people that are interested in business. That's all we've got time for, unfortunately. So it's time to say thanks so much for joining me on Think Business Futures, Mark Curry. Seven, thank you so, so much. It was honestly lovely to be here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guest, Mark Curry. 
You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.